guest minister for the day is not a stranger to many of you. He and his family come to us from the Knob Noster Restoration Branch, and uh, he's my cousin, Elder Michael Brown. And uh, uh, Sherilyn called Amy last night, and she was feeling under the weather, so his wife, Elisa, is filling in for us on the piano, so thank you for your ministry. And then his uh, son and daughter, Aaron and Holly, are bringing our ministry of music. So it's uh, sweet to be able to serve with my brother and his family this day. You know, my grandfather was... uh, one of many children, and his mother passed away at a young age, and his father was confined to a wheelchair, and after his mother passed away, he was not able to, uh, to attend to the needs of the children, and so the children were split up, and he spent some time in his youth in an orphanage. And whether it was a Thanksgiving dinner or an Easter gathering, or a Christmas gathering with the family. I always remember him stressing the importance of family, because he didn't have that necessarily when he was growing up. And he wanted that for his family and his family's families. 
So I do count it a joy and a privilege to serve with my brother Michael here this day and that uh, heritage which my grandfather had laid. For our call to worship, I would draw your attention to Psalms. And I'm going to read the Hunter's Psalm. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and to his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. May we this day enter into that gate with thanksgiving, and may we enter into that court with praise that his goodness, even that goodness of the Holy Spirit, might move amongst you this day is my prayer. Let's continue our service by singing hymn 513. 513. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As we come before you this morning, Lord, we our hearts are poured out in thanksgiving.
for all the rich blessings you've bestowed upon us, for the opportunity we come to service to hear your word, Father, to be lifted up, to draw closer unto you. As I pray to you this day, Father, I thank you for my brother Tony and his desire to serve you, and my brother Mike, as he has a desire to Proclaim thy word among thy people, that they might have everlasting life. Father, bless each of them. Bless each one who is here this day, Father, that we might draw closer unto you, that we might have a better vision, Father, those things that you have for us to accomplish in this life. Bless and be with each one here. Bless this service. We pray in the name of thy Son, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. an expression that goes like we need to put all our ducks in a row which I take to mean every aspect of life should all be lined up and in readiness and let us not forget the ducks that need to be in a row of our uh, Heavenly Father such as service to Him coming to church, reading the scriptures and of course giving of our monies I would like to read for scripture section 1 2A through E. Behold, this is mine authority and the authority of my servants and my preface unto the book of my commandments, which I have given them to publish unto you, O inhabitants of the earth. Wherefore, fear and tremble, O ye people, for what I, the Lord, have decreed in them shall be fulfilled. And verily I say unto you that they who go forth bearing these tidings unto the inhabitants of the earth, to them is power given to seal both on earth and in heaven the unbelieving and rebellious. Yea, verily, to seal them up unto the day when the wrath of God shall be poured out upon the wicked without measure, unto the day when the Lord shall come to recompense unto every man according to his work, and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow man. Will you bow with me? Our gracious and eternal Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that Thou hast given us all that we have and all that we are. We thank Thee for Thy great generosity. And as we give a portion back to Thee this morning, help us realize that all that we have and all that we are belongeth unto Thee, and that what we give today is but a portion of what we owe Thee. Bless us to this end, we pray in the name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
I would like to share with you today two scriptures, both from the book of Isaiah and the prophecy that he uh, shared. The first uh, scripture comes from Isaiah, the 21st chapter, verses 11 and 12, if you'd like to follow. In the burden of Duma, he calleth to me out of Seir, Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night. And if ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, and come. And the other one comes from Isaiah, the 60th chapter, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. May the Lord bless us as we uh, worship him today. Oh, 
always a joy to uh, come and to share together in worship. It's a little touching for me, and uh, I'm very thankful for the family that the Lord has given me. Uh, they minister to me probably more than, than I minister to them. And I suppose that's the way it's to be, that we give and we teach and we do the best we can, and in the end, to see uh, the fruits and blessings that come from that is a, a tremendous uh, joy to my soul. And it's a joy to be here with you. And as I was thinking about <clears throat> how deep the Father's love for us, He has gone beyond everything that we could possibly think of that we might have eternal life. He has laid down the life of His only begotten Son. He has provided every needful thing for His people in His Word. He has, by the power of the Holy Ghost, ministered to your hearts and your souls from time to time. He has put people in your pathways that were needed in those divine appointments, as one sister likes to refer to them as all the time that those people who need to be there in those moments are there. He has done everything that he can do short of taking away our agency to choose him. What more love could he show us than what he has already shown? And when we come this morning, as Tony read out of the 100th Psalm, that we come into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise because he is worthy of our worship. And you begin with thanksgiving. You cannot come into the gates to meet your Lord without being thankful. And those who had wisdom to set aside a day for this country, a day of thanksgiving, uh, were wise in that they were led by that good spirit because it's in that that we receive such tremendous blessings of being thankful. And I don't know if you're uh, maybe even aware of how powerful the idea of being thankful is. It is, well, first of all, it's the first step. If you're not thankful, we're told in Romans, the first chapter, it's the first step into apostasy. It says they were unthankful and knew not God as being God. And then if you go through the rest of the first chapter of Romans, they degenerate to a horrible condition. But the first step was being unthankful. And how do we exercise being thankful? We exercise it in that we have to have faith in the promises of God and that we can be thankful not for all things, but it says thankful in all things. Big difference. And I hope today that you come, whatever your situations are in life, whatever the, the things of, of the world you might be dealing with, that you all can set that aside this morning and enjoy being thankful in all things, that we are here because the depth of His love is so powerful. Just to give a couple of examples in Scripture of how powerful being thankful and having the spirit of thanksgiving is, there's a couple of examples of Jesus himself doing mighty works. Do you realize you unleash the power of the Lord when you're thankful? We recall at least two instances where Jesus, the one where the fish and, 
and the loaves, and there wasn't enough to feed them all. And it simply says in the scriptures, and Jesus gave thanks, and they began to feed the people. And not only did they feed the people, there was more than enough. There was much left over. But all it says was, and Jesus gave thanks. And in another instance, a very powerful occurrence was at the tomb of Lazarus. And you recall that uh, he had been dead, and they were weeping, and he instructs Martha about that, that you believe in the resurrection, and then he, he, he really wants her to understand that the resurrection cannot be separated from him, because he says, I am the resurrection. And then it says, and Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. That's all he said. He didn't command anything. He didn't do anything uh, out of that. He says, Father, I thank, you, I thank you that you always hear me. And then he turned and says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus, come forth. That's the power of thankfulness and thanksgiving unto the Father. And I just want to show those two examples that things in your lives can change dramatically by simply exercising the power of being thankful. And so I wanted to share that this morning. I also wanted to share one other thing out of class before I get into my heart of what I want to share today. And that is, you have to understand and believe that what you are a part of today is greater than any one of you or any group of you, that this is His work and His church, and that the origins, the roots of this church are not in Catholicism, they're not in Protestantism, they are out of heaven. And it is true that the Protestant movement laid the foundation and and enriched the soil in which the seed of the kingdom could be planted, and it was done so in advance, but make no mistake, there can be no kingdom without the coming forth of the restoration and of priesthood and of ordinances and of the covenants. Impossible. It had to be restored. And you are privileged to be a part of that this morning. And I just want to make sure that we all understand how important that basic understanding is because there's a lot of individuals today who are losing sight of what it means to be part of the restoration. It's more than just the Book of Mormon. Very important. It's more, right, than this, that. It's more than just believing that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Those are important things. But it's so much more than that. It's the covenants, all of the covenants that were shared. You know, you have the covenant of Elijah, the prophet, right? Returning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Those promises that were made, lest the whole earth be cursed. You have the promise of Moses, right? Bringing back the keys to the restoration of the house of Israel and gathering all the tribes again. That was done in 1836 in the Kirtland Temple. Those keys were given. Those things are restored that had not been here for so many years. And so today, I tie that in with what I really have felt led today to share a little bit from the two opening scriptures that I've shared with you. Uh, you recall Apostle Luff, uh, in concerning our whereabouts, had that phrase, Watchman, what of the night? And how... You can picture the watchmen, while many sleep, 
are there watching out and crying, right, the things that are about to transpire, the warnings that need to be given, the things that are transpiring around us right now. And the answer that I find interesting about when he asks here, he says, out of seer, he says, Watchman, what of the night? He repeats it, Watchman, what of the night? And the answer that the watchman gives is really important because he says, the morning cometh and also the night. There's going to be great light and great power given to the church, to priesthood. We talk about endowment. Great light is coming. The morning cometh, but also the night. There's also going to be great darkness upon the earth. And you're living in that day and time in which it says darkness covereth the earth and gross darkness the minds of the people. I read to you out of Isaiah the 60th chapter and he talks about that. And he talks about light coming, but also that it would uh, be in the midst of great darkness. Have you ever thought about the fact, though, that the light shines brighter in the darkness? And I know you know that. And I know that you have to understand that in this day in which we live, it's easy to get caught up in those things that are around. But just remember the promises given to the children of Abraham. When Abraham was taken out, and you recall he was uh, wondering of, about what the Lord was, was going to, to give to him, and the Lord took him out, and it says he had him look up, and he says he saw all the stars in the heavens. And he says, you know, as all these stars are, he says, so shall the number of thy descendants, thy children be. But it wasn't just the number that was important. It was the fact that they would shine as stars in the night. And the church is to shine as star, a great, great beacon of light in the night. And we're told in the Scriptures that as the, uh, Satan comes in like a flood, and it says evil will come in like a flood upon them, I will set up a standard against it. And if you look at the Greek meaning of a standard, a standard is something that not only stops, right, but it actually rolls back. A standard. We're told that Zion is to be the ensign to the nations, the standard. And so what I want to share with you this morning is the fact that, yes, there's going to be great light and great things ahead. And there's also, so that you're not confused or discouraged, there's also going to be great darkness. And the Lord has foretold that. So don't be unduly concerned when you look around and see darkness covering the minds of people. Know that the Lord has prophesied that this will be, but there's also going to be great light. There's the morning that cometh and also the night. I was thinking about the fact that uh, God's people are, are to be lights in the midst of great darkness. If we turn to the book of Daniel, there's actually a prophecy there related to that. The prophet Daniel, the 12th chapter, verses uh, 1 through 3. And at that time shall Michael stand up. They're talking about Michael the archangel. It says, the great prince standeth for the children of thy people. Do you realize that? That Michael is the great archangel who stands to protect his people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found 
written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall, shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Are you the wise? Do you have oil in the lamps? The parable of the ten virgins. Are you wise? Have you sought out the Holy Ghost in your lives to have that kind of oil prepared? It says, They that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to, they shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. That's a beautiful depiction of what the Lord is calling us to be as stars in the midst of the night. Today, we have a lot of things going on, and I just want to, want to share what brought my, my thoughts this morning to this is something that uh, was shared with me. Actually, I've got to go back a little bit. Many of you, probably like I, you know, have those moments in, in time when you were younger and you were in school, and certain things stood out to you. And I read the scripture about the morning cometh, but also the night. And something came back to me, and it, it, was, it was something that probably all of you have read or have heard. It's, it's, it's Charles Dickens' A Tale of, 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 of Two Cities, right? And when it says it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It's going to be the best of times for the righteous. And yet it's going to be the worst of times for the wicked. John Blackstock, a uh, high priest uh, years ago, he used to have this comment every time he'd come up and say, Brother... It's going to get better and better for the righteous and worse and worse for the wicked. And he said it with almost ecstatic glee of knowing what was coming. And it was the best of times and it was the worst of times at the same time. It was the age of wisdom of God and the foolishness of men. It was the epic of belief and it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light and it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, and it is at the same time for some the winter of despair. We have everything before us, and yet we have nothing before us in ourselves. I look at that simple thing of Charles Dickens, and I think about this scripture. At the same time, great light and great darkness. And yet his saints have been called to the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light, right? We sing the song, let us walk in the light, right? And we enjoy that type of understanding of what the light is. And we sing the song, right? Uh, the, the Spirit of God like a fire is burning. The latter day glory begins to come forth and all the visions and blessings of old are returning and angels again returning to the earth. And we're going to talk a little bit about those angels returning in a second. It's important that we understand that you're going to see both of these things, that you not be deceived and that you not be um, uh, taken uh, by surprise at that. And hopefully you're not already. This was um, something uh, most of you know, that we live in, in a time, I think, that is just tremendous. It's a, a real joy to be in this time period here. And one of the things that really struck me when Wallace B. Smith uh, passed away on September the 22nd of 2023, 200 years 
from the time of the coming forth of them being able to see the plates in the Book of Mormon. Not probably by coincidence, obviously. But not only that, uh, September 22nd, 2023, was the, the first full day of autumn. And I wanted to share something that uh, had come to my attention, and the Spirit of the Lord just flooded over me about this, that this was significant to us today. I remember hearing about Wallace B. Smith passing away, and I remember turning to my brother, Carl, and, and looking at it, and I, this is significant. And I didn't know why at the time. I just knew it was. I just knew it had uh, very important applications for us. And uh, in regards to that, I uh, come across and was able to locate something that actually was printed in autumn leaves years and years ago. And it was recorded and repeated in our church history. And you can find it in Church History, Volume 4, page 584. And I'm just going to read a very short part of this, but I want you to understand the significance of the day in which you live. It says here, Jesus admonished his disciples to watch. Watchmen, what of the night? Told them of many things which should precede his coming. We are living in the age in which these things are being fulfilled, in the autumn of time. And as events are transpiring in the great world in which we live, clearly pointing to the speedy coming of Christ. Let us watch them in their fulfillment, watch them while we labor, and wait for, and this is the phrase that really caught my attention where the Spirit touched me, and wait for the last leaf to fall from the branches of the prophetic tree. For with its falling will be ushered in a new dispensation in which all Israel shall be saved. For the deliverer shall come forth out of Zion and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That phrase, the last leaf to fall from the branches of the prophetic tree. And that is what Wally B. Smith was. Whether or not he fulfilled all those things that he should have, went down paths that shouldn't have done, the point of the matter is he was the last leaf of the prophetic tree. And when it falls, know this, that it will usher in a new dispensation where all of Israel shall be saved. And I think about this incredible moment of time, that this is not an insignificant thing in the lives of the saints to understand where we're at prophetically, and that we know that these things are done in a way that ministers to us that God is in control, and that He has prepared all these things from the beginning even into the end. You know, the, the apostles were anxious to, to ask Jesus questions all the time, and I'm sure you and I in our prayers are asking for, for the Lord to give guidance. But they asked him when he walked with them here upon the earth, they asked him when two things. They asked him when the temple would be destroyed. And they asked him also, right, when the end of the world was, right? When he would come again, is what he said. When, when, when will you come again and return? Because they knew that much. And the first, first question, he gave very specific answers. The first answer he gave was, right, when you see the armies encompass Jerusalem, know then that you should head to the high ground and flee, right, for the temple would shortly be destroyed. And he gave them that answer. And that happened exactly as he said. The armies of Rome surrounded the temple, and then there was problems back in Rome, and so they withdrew temporarily. And if people would have fled at that moment, they could have been saved, but many of them, not heeding that, stayed because, oh, the armies are gone for a little bit. 
And then the Roman armies came back and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, leaving not one stone upon another as they pried and searched for the gold and silver in every stone of the temple. And in 70 A.D. that was fulfilled. But also, he says then to the second question, he gives a whole list of things that you should look for, right? As the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and covers the whole earth, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he says you'll see wars and rumors of wars and smoke and fire and all these things. But then he gets to the heart of it where he goes finally and says, And then this gospel shall be preached into the whole world, and then the end shall come. That's the, that's the key right there. And I take heart in that because the end can't be yet, even though you see many things and many uh, things of darkness. The end can't be yet because this gospel must be preached in power to all the world before the end can come. And we remember the testimony that Apostle Arthur Oakman gave when he was in that dark day in, in 1938, 39 during World War II. And the armies of Hitler were marching all over. And it looked like it was going to engulf the whole world, fascism and tyranny. And he was there, and he was debating whether to stay in England and serve the saints there, or whether he should come back. And finally he, he, he said, I'm going to stay. And he was given to know he made the right decision. After he made it, the Lord told him, you've done well. And then he sent uh, a couple of angels there with him to strengthen him. But the thing that came to Arthur by the power of the Spirit was, have I not said that this gospel shall be preached into all the world as a testimony, and then the end shall come? Telling Arthur the end can't be yet. And then he goes on, and have I not, how is there going to be a testimony into all the world of Zion unless the city is built? The city has to be built as a testimony. You know, when Noah preached for 120 years, he bore witness of repentance and, and faith in Christ, right? And coming into the gospel, and, and very few heeded. But it says, but when he built the ark, it was a testimony against them. When it was built, that's when the testimony against them was, was made. And so there has to be a kingdom built there has to be Zion as a testimony in which that testimony can go out to all the world and then the end shall come. And he also says there will be many false Christs and false uh, teachers and things that will come also. And I, I want to tie this in, this principle of light and darkness and of the two being together side by side because that's what you're seeing. And the gulf is becoming greater and greater. You know, it used to be, and some of you remember this a lot better than I do, back in the probably 50s and 60s, you could probably be a good, upstanding citizen of this country and be a good, upstanding member in the church of Jesus Christ. And the difference would not be super great. But that's not becoming the case today. And I want to point out to you of what I think is taking place. If we turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter. You know this parable well. It's the parable of the weed and the tares. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 22, 
Jesus speaking to them said, He put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blades sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Whence then hath it tares? And he saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat which is with them. They're too close alike. You can't do it. They're too young and too tender. But let both of them grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the wheat into my barn, and the tares are bound in bundles to be burned. Now, we don't need to guess at what all this is, because then Jesus goes on as they're asking the questions, and he explains this in very detail, but I want you to understand in the connotation of today. And so if you flip over to verse 35, Jesus then gives the, the, the meaning. He sent the multitude away, right? And then he went to the house, and then among his disciples, he declares to them the meaning of the parable. He answered and said to them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, or the destruction of the wicked. And the reapers are the angels or the messengers sent of heaven. This has meaning for me because I had an experience. And one night I, I was in a dream and I saw the angels of heaven and they were all standing at attention and they were very regal and royal in their approach and standing at attention and they were all focused upon the Son of God. And he was far in the distance in my dream, but I knew who he was, and I knew the light that emanated from him, and they were all turned looking at him. And I knew in that dream that they were all there looking and waiting for the command to reap the earth. And they were standing at attention, and they were ready, and they were eager that they might reap the earth. And I know that's exactly what this is referencing in relation to those who are the children of the kingdom, the tares being separated from the wheat. It says the wheat will be gathered into the barn and the tares will be gathered into bundles. There is very important to understand that we look around at the darkness and have to have a meaning or better understanding of the meaning of that, that there is the wheat and tares growing together and the same climatic nature which causes them to be able to grow together allows the wheat to be able to bear forth fruit and allows the tares to grow also and become ripe as well. And they grow together, and the same climatic conditions that cause the wheat to ripen cause the tares to ripen. And one of the things that really strikes me about this is the concept of when people say, why are we going through all of this, and why is there such darkness and so forth, because the weed and the tares have grown together. And you're in the moment now, particularly after what I read to you about the autumn leaves of time, in which 
the wheat and the tares are being separated. Greater light than ever before will be with those whose hearts are right. They will grow in brightness and in understanding and in wisdom and in love of Christ. And those who aren't will grow in darkness and will become more and more entrenched in the things of the world. And they're growing up together at the same time. And I thought about this quite a bit. Everything's ripening. Those conditions in the world that allow the righteous to ripen also allow the tares to ripen. What is those climatic conditions that are making that possible? And it is the idea, I believe, that people are not inhibited today as they used to be by fear of what the neighbors will say, standards of conduct that the world had, generally accepted morals and and values. All of those things are fading away. And what you see is people who truly are ripening in the very nature of what's in their hearts. You look at lawlessness and evil and say, well, I wish we didn't have to endure that. But that is also ripening the tares as well as the wheat. You see, even in the church, the same restrictions that we used to have are, are not no longer in force. And little things. There was a code of conduct, a decorum that you had, and those things are slowly being discarded, jettisoned. And people are doing exactly what's in their hearts to do. A whole lot of religious taboos are lifted, and we're free to do our own thing, to be who we are, whether we be good or whether we be evil or lawless. There are two harvests that are talked about in the book of Revelation. I want to take you there because it's really important of where we're at today. The two harvests. Revelation chapter 14. We talk about Thanksgiving and the harvest. There's a, if you know a little bit of the history there, there's a harvest in Israel of grain and a harvest of grapes. The grains always come first. The barley and then the wheat. And then much, much later, the very last harvest is the harvest of grapes. Put this into context. You symbolize this every time you take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We have the prayer over the bread, the wheat. And we have the prayer over the wine, right? The grapes of the vine represent the blood of Christ. You are testifying to this harvest, really, every time that you partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, whether you realize it or not. Revelation 14, two harvests. 14, verse 14. This is the harvest of the grain or the wheat. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And you know the sickle is for the harvest. Right? Many of you who are older know about the sickle. And he has a crown, the crown of victory that Christ has. But he has a sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
There's actually a Greek word that means not only ripe, but it means it's dry, that if you wait any longer, you're going to lose the crop. The Lord is preparing His people. Right now, you are a part of that, that you're going to be ripened to follow that which is in your heart. And He's going to thrust in His sickle, and He's going to reap His people and gather in the barn at the very last moment before He loses the crop. But it has to be fully ripe. And the tares have to be fully shown. And then uh, it says, And he that sat on the uh, cloud did thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And we know who the reapers are, the angels. Right? But then it goes on. That's the first harvest. But that's not the only harvest. And in Israel, they have the grains first, the wheat, and then the, the grapes. And then in verse 17, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So also reaping, it's a harvest, but it's not the same. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the grapes are fully ripe. And the angel did thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The harvest of grapes is the harvest of judgment. He gathers in the wheat into the barn and then he harvests the vine of the earth, the grapes, and it is of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even to the horses' bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Uh, if you do the, the math equation, that's 184 miles. I'm not going to speak a lot about that. It's, what can you say? But I do want to say this, that you're seeing this begin to play out. The light and the darkness together. It's going to get darker for the, uh, the, the world. There's going to be more things of, of that kind of forces unleashed. But you also have to understand the morning also cometh. And greater light than ever before is going to be shown. We sing the song, Let the lower lights be burning. Let them gleam across, across the waves. Right? Some poor seaman you may rescue. You may save. Your lights have to be burning. You have to have the Spirit of God. And it says this judgment, right? Not only did the angel come out and say you must, you know, ask him to reap, but it says another angel came out over the fire, the judgment. And we know in Isaiah 4, it talks about that how is, well, let's just turn to it. I don't want to quote it because I'll misquote it. Let's look at Isaiah 4 real quick. Verse 3, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. It goes right along with Revelation. You're living in a momentous day. There's so much more I'd like to say this morning. This is the condition that's going to be immediately before His return. That greater power that's going to be poured out, there's going to be greater satanic power, and there's going to be greater power of God. We call it an endowment. Where he will send forth his servants to all the earth, and they will be endowed with a power 
that will be able to gather the nations. And all of Israel shall be saved. It says, Out of Zion will come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The power of light. How do we know that this is still to come? And I'm running out of time here. You know, Joseph Smith Jr. was given many things by the angel when he came and talked to me. He gave him a listing of scriptures. He talked about Malachi 4, and he went on in Isaiah. But the one thing that he gave Joseph Smith Jr. that says, the time is not yet, but must shortly be fulfilled, was when he quoted Joel. And I want to turn there because that's the one thing that has not been fulfilled yet. All the others have, but not this one yet. But it's close at hand. If you would like to turn with me to the book of Joel, quoted by the angel to Joseph, beginning in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 28. And you've got to remember, all of everything before in chapter 2 is destruction and judgment. The, right? The harvest of grapes. <laughs> But then you get the verse 28, and it says, And it shall come to pass, and here's the key word, afterward. After these things, and it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. This is the greater outpouring of the light in the midst of the darkness. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. This is the day of God's power. When he sends forth his servants to all the world with that kind of power. And keep in mind, there's going to be the forces of opposition too. You know, we never would have had an Adolf Hitler if the church and those who believed in Christ in Europe and in Germany wouldn't have succumbed and not had kept the faith. You know, Hitler actually tried to push a, a, a Bible long before when he first came to power. He wanted a, a Nazi Bible. I know that doesn't hardly seem possible. But he did. He wanted a Nazi Bible, and he wanted to change who Jesus was and take out all references him to being a Jew. Not surprising. Can you imagine how that would change everything if Jesus was not of the line of David and is a Jew? That would be... But that's what he tried to do. And to the credit early on, many of the German Lutherans who had been taught well by Martin Luther stood up and said, no, we like our Lutheran Bible, we're going to keep our Lutheran Bible. And so many of them did it, and it was done early on when he just was getting power, that he backed off of that. But later on, as he started pushing more, and they started replacing crosses with swastikas and stuff, and the churches began to be uh, succumbing to that. And you have great darkness that covered Germany, almost a, a blackness that is incomprehensible. That kind of thing is happening in the Christian nations today. And so you must be prepared to know that there is going to be great darkness, but also great light. You can't separate the one from the other. There's pessimists in the church and there's optimists, right? There's people who say, oh, it's all going to be wonderful and good in Zion, and it will be. 
of those who are faithful, keep the commandments, who love the Lord, whose hearts are pure. And there's pessimists who say it's going to be all so dark and so terrible, and how can this ever be? Neither one of those are, are completely accurate, right? The two will grow together until the very end, and then they will be separated. Brothers and sisters, we need the Lord desperately. How deep the Father's love for us. If we have the heart of the bride of Christ, I hope that you're longing with passion for Him. I hope you weep for Zion. Anybody who's indifferent about the coming of the Lord, I say would hardly qualify as being the bride of Christ. The bride looks with anticipation, with eagerness, with passion that can't be hardly expressed. And today I'm amazed sometimes, and I'm going to just kind of use this in a general sense, that when I go around and you talk to people in, in not, not so much in our church, but there's some there too, but in the Christian religion, and you ask about the coming of the Lord, the attitude of Christians today is kind of almost like, well, uh, when He comes, it's uh, nice to have you back, Jesus. And that's about the extent of it. We are going to need Him desperately. We are going to find, and if you're a, a little bit lukewarm about this, i, I got some things to encourage you. <laughs> things are going to happen that are going to cause you to wish very ardently for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And for Zion. God has his ways of getting us to the place where we finally see that we need him. And we need him desperately. I share this this morning because I don't want you to be confused when you see what appears to be great darkness covering everything. It's supposed to be that way. It's going to be that way. The Lord has said it. But I want you to be encouraged to be the light, to let the light of the Holy Spirit dwell within you, to be those pillars in your communities, in your workplaces, in your schools, that they can see the light and the testimony of Christ. Two things, and I'll leave you with this thought. It says in Revelation 12, chapter, verse 11, it says there's two things that happen, how Satan's defeated. It says the saints will overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that they bore their testimony to the end. Your testimony is power. You want to talk about being thankful? Bear testimony of how thankful you are. You're part of the work. I heard Tony share that, as he, how thankful we are for those who've gone before. Be thankful in all things. Look up. It says, when they embrace the truth and look up, not out, not down, but look up and rejoice, for the Lord is nigh. And He loves you. He desires for you to be with Him. He wants to gather you together. He wants to take you in and embrace you with the power of His love, which is beyond anything we can imagine. But be faithful. Keep the commandments. Know the Word. You can't exercise faith if you don't know what the promises are. That's the only way you can exercise faith. And the only way you can really be thankful is if you know what those promises are. So may the Lord bless you in the days ahead. May this be a wonderful Thanksgiving, not only for the things of this earth and of your families, of this gospel, of the work you're a part of, 
And most of all, thankful for the power of the, of the Son of God. He is the Christ. And it says, in the end, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is the Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. May the Lord bless you in the days ahead. And remember, there will be great darkness, but there's also going to be great light. The morning cometh, but also the night. thankful for those words which was brought by our brother here this day. Those words which remind us of your son and his return and all those great events that will take place. And we know that Satan will seek to destroy all good. But we can trust in the perfection of his grace. And so, Father, we're thankful for your love, this gospel, and this church and kingdom.
which will go forth. And Father, we're thankful for this congregation, the old and young and the middle-aged, that are part of your church and the heritage that is within. And as that heritage is is a blessing unto all, Father, we're thankful for the Thanksgiving meal that is before us. Grateful for the many times that you've always provided. And that uh, we may always know that thou art the great provider and the great creator of all things. And thou wilt provide for us in the days ahead. And we give you the honor and the glory. For thou art King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.